But I do want to begin with a serious question, though. It's such a great time to come together during Easter and to celebrate what Christ has done. But then we go back to our lives. We go back to the things that distract us and the things that, that, that worry us. And we have to ask the question, what does the resurrection have to do with everything else in my life? And so I want to ask you a real question. You can be honest with me. Are you tired of the news? Are you tired of the negativity? Are you tired of the division, the violence, the wars, everything that is plastered across the news day after day? And I got bad news and I got good news for you. Because the bad news, if you look throughout history, it's always been the same. There's always been violence. There's always been division. There's always been negativity. We just have a 24-hour highlight reel of it that we get in our lives. Now, and the bad news is that is a result of sin. And that will be in the world until Christ comes to redeem it. Because what happened is in the beginning, God made things perfectly. God made things good in the garden. And God's initial design was for man and woman to have perfect fellowship with him. But desiring to be like God, they rejected his plan. And sin came into the world. And the entire world was cursed. So much so that even the ground under our feet is affected by sin. And everything we see on the news is just a product of that. And I've got more bad news. There is no human effort that can ever solve the problems of this world ultimately. There is nothing we can do to ever completely stop violence. To ever completely stop racism. To ever completely stop death and disease. We can't fight it. We are not powerful enough within ourselves. That's the bad news. So the next question is, what does this have to do with the resurrection? What does this have to do with Jesus? What does the resurrection have to do with everything that I see around me? How does the resurrection offer me a solution and answers to death, disease, war, violence, racism, those things that are so much on people's lips and minds these days? That's where the good news comes in. Because the good news is if you are united with Christ, you have died with him. You have died his death to death. And you have been raised to life by faith in him. These things no longer have hold on you. And you will one day see a day when Christ will make all things new. The whole reason he had to come is because this broken world that is under the curse needs to be restored. And it can only be restored through God and man made flesh in one. And one day he will end all violence. He will end all sickness. He will end all death. There will be perfect unity in him. That is what... The cross accomplished. And that is our hope. Because anything else we try will fall short. Anything else, any other human effort will end. It's inevitable. So now we got that straight. I want to bring us to our text this morning because hopefully this will be evident as we walk through Acts chapter 10. Because Acts chapter 10 is a monumental shift in the life of the church. Let me tell you where we are in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is directly after Jesus dies, goes to the grave, is risen on the third day, appears to the disciples. But before he's ascended, he talks to his disciples and he gives them power and he sends them out into the neighborhoods. And he said, one day I will send you into the nations. And so through the book of Acts, this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been going all around Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 10, something amazing happens. Peter has this vision. 
If you know anything about Peter, he's stubborn. Like many of us, he needs to hear things three times before it sinks in. So Peter has this vision three times. Peter, like any good Jew, would consider certain things clean and certain things unclean. There are certain things he could eat and certain things he couldn't. Certain things he could do and certain things he couldn't because of the Mosaic law. And so many times people ask, all right, well, why did they not eat things then? Why, why can we eat them now? And I'm going to explain that very quickly. If you want more on that, we can talk later. But as Peter is in this vision, a sheet comes down. And all these, these animals that were not allowed to eat before, animals and even creeping things, yeah, bugs and stuff like that, they're edible. It came down from heaven three times. It says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And so this has a double meaning. Because in the resurrection, not only did Christ die for sinners, but he, he, he died and lived the perfect life so he could fulfill the law. So all of those parameters in the law that existed for Israel alone and existed because they, they had no eternal king, Christ fulfilled. And so this good news of arise, Peter, kill, and that means that he could eat of anything that was claimed unclean before. But it also means that those who are considered unclean before the Gentiles, that means everyone in here. I don't know if any of you are 100% Jewish, but if you're not, you are a Gentile. I hate to break it to you. And so we would have been unclean, so much so that the Jews were not even allowed to step in the home of a Gentile. And so Peter, of course, like Peter does, begins to argue with the Lord. And, and, and Peter says, of course not, Lord. I have never touched anything unclean. And then... You know, Jesus responds, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so Peter gets this message from Cornelius. If you're looking for baby names, it's a great uh, Roman centurion name, Cornelius. Uh, also from Planet of the Apes, if you remember that, if you're old enough. So this, this dual good news of now you can eat whatever you want. Now we can eat shrimp and we can eat bacon. And we can eat bacon-covered shrimp. And Jesus is resurrected. If you're looking for a ministry slogan to Jewish people, we've got Jesus and bacon. It's just it. So now we find ourselves in Cornelius's house. Cornelius is, is an influential Roman centurion, and he has a vision that a Jew is going to come and tell him some good news. So Cornelius gathers everyone he knows. He has his house full of people. And we're going to pick up in Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 33. This is what Cornelius says. So when he got this vision, he said, so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. We are here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, 
All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Let's pray. We are here to come and behold the wondrous mystery. How God became flesh. To walk among us. To live perfectly. In a way that we never could. To die the death that we should have. To take sin and death on the cross. And place our shame and our guilt on him. And the mystery that death could not hold him. That after three days he rose again. And after showing himself as witnesses. And commanding his people to proclaim the good news. He went back up to heaven to sit in the right hand of God. The throne of power and authority, which he is still sitting and reigning to this day. So that the resurrection, the good news to all nations, that there is peace and restoration in Christ and the promise of the forgiveness of sins in his name. Let's pray this morning that that is evident to everyone who is here. That Lord, you challenge us and your spirit works and convicts us of the gospel. Pray that you bring fruit to your word and that it accomplishes its purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we begin in verse 34. Peter opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. What does that mean? Does it mean that God shows no partiality? That means God is not shallow and superficial like us. That's what that means. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Let me say that again. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. The world continues to tell us to judge each other by how we look. To measure people by their culture and their color. To make judgments based on first appearances. But thankfully we serve a God who knows hearts. And the gospel and the good news reminds us at a most basic level of what unites us. That first and foremost, we are made in the image of God, each and every one of us. And we have value and dignity because he says so. And he shows no partiality based on appearance. But as we think about God showing no partiality, do we ever take inventory of ourselves? How often... Have we tried to make ourselves presentable externally to appear before God to be acceptable to him? How many of us have tried to make ourselves up on the outside while being dead inside? How many of us also have tried to make others make themselves up on the outside? Making it about how we look externally before addressing the real issues of the heart. I've had this conversation with a lot of you. Growing up, I thought being a Christian was standing up straight and wearing a suit and dressing a certain way and talking a certain way. Many of you grew up in that, that if you didn't dress a certain way, if you didn't wear a suit, you weren't really a good Christian. There are some people who still preach that. Our God shows no partiality. James, in his epistle, tells us to show no partiality based on someone's appearance. Nothing wrong with a suit. Sir, Jesus' suit was really nice. No. 
We're the people of God who are changed in our hearts, on the inside out. And God shows no partiality by what you look like on the outside. If we admit it, we have a, we have a hard time with this. Because by nature, we make judgments on people the moment we see them. Before speaking to them, before getting to know them, we make our assumptions based on how they look, how they stand, how they speak. Thankfully, God doesn't do that because we're all stumbling, uh, mumbling screw ups. We've all made fools of ourselves. And if we were based on how we appeared, if our value was based on how we appeared to others, where would we be? Thankfully, God sees the heart and does not show partiality. I'm going to give you a little secret. How do we deal with the judgments that we make? I'm going to give you a secret that applies to everyone. You want to know how to deal with people who look differently than you, speak differently than you, dress differently than you? You look them in the eye. You speak to them. You smile to them. And when they speak, you, you, you listen. And you let them know that you actually care about what they're saying. Every person, no matter what they look like or where they come from, they value that. Someone who respects me and someone who listens to what I have to say, someone who looks me in the eye like I have value. Radical, right? Just crazy. But how often do we not have a conversation with someone because we're afraid of what they're going to think of us or that we don't know how to relate to them because they may have grown up differently than we did or came from a a different background than, than, than we did? The gospel places us all on the same footing. Before God, we are all sinners in need of his grace. We are all made in his image and all imperfect. And so no partiality is actually good news. Because God doesn't judge you for how you really are. He judges you based on whether you know Christ or not. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And I also want to just have a slight warning here. Anyone who is preaching a gospel that is about anything other than faith in Christ, anyone who is making the gospel about a particular group, a particular class, a particular goal, um, other than peace through the resurrected Christ is preaching a different gospel. Anything that is about some secondary issue other than Christ is a different gospel. And we need to be, be, be careful of that because our God shows no partiality. God has no, no, no backup plan, no ulterior motive. It is faith in Christ. It's the whole reason we are here. God shows no partiality. Verse 35. But in every nation, everyone who fears him. Every nation. Every nation. If you look around the room, we have a lot of nations represented here, and I love that. And I guarantee if you look around heaven, you will have a lot of nations uh, represented. And we should love that. We should celebrate that. That God didn't just leave the gospel in this this small group of, of Israelites. He says in Isaiah 49 that it is not a good thing that the light should only be to Jacob. The light should go out to all the nations. And in Acts 10, we are seeing that. And the gospel is the good news to all the nations. To anyone who fears him, who does what is right, he is acceptable to the Lord. I'm going to get in just a moment what it means to be acceptable to the Lord. So Peter continues in his gospel explanation here. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The word, the message is peace through Christ. What is peace? And is it really possible? 
Peace in the Jewish understanding means wholeness. It means to be complete. It means to be lacking nothing. And in Christ, it is the only place you will ever be where you can lack nothing truly. It is the peace that passes understanding. It is the peace that allows slaves and prisoners to sing praises in the midst of being beaten, going to the gallows. It is the peace that passes understanding that allows martyrs to pray for those who are killing them for the name of Jesus. It is the peace that passes understanding that when death and disease and violence plagues us, that our peace is in Jesus and this, this world that is sinking sand does not disrupt that. That is the peace that passes understanding in Christ. And it is only in Christ. It is only through Jesus. Because only the resurrected Christ can bring peace. Only the resurrected Christ can bring peace in your life and peace to the nations. Because in Christ, we are united. You've heard the saying that blood is thicker than water. We apply that to our our families. How many of us, the biggest divisions we have in our lives are in our families? The saying that blood is thicker than water should be applied a step further. Because the blood of Christ, that was shed on the cross, unites everyone into his death and resurrection. Die to sin and live to life in him. You think that blood is thicker than water in your home? Imagine about an eternity. If you are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, how united should we be in him? As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. This peace cannot happen if he is not Lord. If he is not both Lord and God and Savior, sacrificial lamb. We've covered this the past few weeks in the the Gospel of John. If he is not Lord, this peace cannot be sustained. Because we know, again, if if peace was up to our effort, we'd be back at war again in no time. Because he is Lord of all. It is his authority that governs this peace, and it gives us the assurity of this peace. If you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, uh, flip four pages, or excuse me, four uh, books to the right, four or five books to Ephesians. This is one of those times when a book is actually faster, because if you're on your phone, you can't type as fast as I can flip. So, haha. Ephesians chapter 2. What is this peace? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. I love to hear flipping pages. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. That's us, the Gentiles. We were far off. By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You think we have hostility against people who are different now? They had it then. They knew what that was. And it was only through the peace of the blood of the cross that they were united together. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two making peace. You get this? The unity takes the two or the the different factions and makes them one in Christ. And you might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who you were near, Gentile and Jew alike. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is what Christ does in unity. He unifies believers. And how does he do it? Flip two more books over to Colossians 1. We read this earlier, but it's worth reading again. In our public reading, we look at Colossians 1. I just want to look at the last two verses. Because it sums all of this up. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is God. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. There is no peace without the blood of the cross. And it is signed and sealed by the Lord of all who will one day reconcile all things to himself. This is the good news. That what we see around us, the brokenness and and, and the evil and the heartbreak is not the final say. Because when he came, he began the work of reconciliation. He began the work of peace on earth. And not just peace on earth in the the planet, but also peace with, with people. He began reconciling people to himself, but most importantly, peace with God. Because this is the real issue. When we get down to it, the peace with God is our real problem. Because we don't naturally fear him and do what is right. We're not naturally acceptable to him because in our heart of hearts, he sees our hearts. Every sin that we commit separates us from God. For we have all sinned and fallen short. And so our peace, we need peace with each other for sure. We need peace with the world around us, absolutely. But most importantly, we need peace with an almighty God. And that peace can only happen through the blood of the cross. Because Christ, the God-man, accomplished it. He supplied what he required. Because in Christ, we will have peace with him now. And peace forevermore. Peace in the storms of this life. To the time when he stops the storms forever. Like he stopped the waters when he stepped out of the boat with Peter. Back in Acts chapter 10. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. We're in verse 37 here. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went out doing good and healing all who were pressed by the devil. For God was with him. Jesus is not just a good teacher like people claim. His ministry had authority. It had divine power to rescue people from the devil, to heal. His ministry was one of reconciliation. He began by reconciling broken bodies so he could reconcile broken souls on the cross. This is the summary of the gospel. This is the summary of the gospel ministries. And right now we're going through the book of John. And if you don't have a church home, if you have not been here, we'd love to have you join us. We just finished chapter one. We're going to be in John for the next seven years or however long we're here. But we'd love to have you join us because we're going to walk through all of these acts of Jesus. I don't have time to get through them. But please come back and join us. We're starting chapter two next week. Verse 39 says that we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. There's this contrast. We are the witnesses. They killed him. We. This is not hearsay. This is from the mouth of witnesses. Peter walked with him. He saw him being led to the cross. He saw him when he rose again. 
And when he says we, there's a lot of other witnesses. Because Jesus appeared to many, many people. They themselves are witnesses of all that he did. But they, some, most, sent him to the cross. You may be surprised, but this, this message of peace and reconciliation was not embraced by all. Jesus' message brought out the worst in people, and they sent him to the cross. Many of you may think, well, that wouldn't be me. I couldn't do that. Here's, here's what the real heart of the matter is. The reason he went to the cross was, one, we needed a price to be paid for our sins. But the reason that they were cheering for him to be killed on the cross is because he says, I'm God and you're not. That there is only hope through me, not in your own effort. And that challenges everything that is within us. Our flesh hates that idea. Our flesh hates that we can't save ourselves or we can't do enough good to atone for our sins or that God wouldn't be pleased with us because we're awesome. We hate that. They hated it then. So these witnesses distinguished between we who saw him and loved him and he appeared to and those who sent him to die by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up. It's the most beautiful Words in all of scripture, but God. They killed him, but God. God raised him up. They put him to death, but God has the final say over death. This is the climax of the whole passage. This is the climax of redemptive history. And this is the confirmation of Jesus' ministry. They put him to death, but death could not hold him. Death had no sting for him. God's power is greater than the grave. If that is not good news, I don't know what is. Death is scary. For many people, death is final. And they try to avoid it by any way possible. We are in a culture that is obsessed with not dying. They're obsessed with trying to live as well as they can now. They're obsessed with, with diets and healthy eating and, and exercise. There's nothing wrong with those things. But underneath it, there's this fear that, that, that drives it. I don't want to die because I have no hope after death. Without a risen Christ, there is no risen anyone. Without a risen Christ, there is no hope after death. But God has power over even death. So we do all these things to try to make our, ourselves healthy and try to live longer. So what? The real question is, are we going to die anyway? Uh, anyone over 30 knows that uh, your body is slowly dying every day. <laughs> it's true. Up until the age of 30, we are growing. From 30 on, we start dying. It, it's, it, it is, it's scientific fact. My, my brother told me that. If it's not true, you can blame him. Um, <laughs> But we see that death is inevitable. And so the bad news is this body is dying every day. You're getting closer to death. That is bad news. That is inevitable. Everyone in this room is on the same page. But the good news is in Jesus, death is not final. And if you are in Christ, death is not final. They can kill this body, but they cannot kill your soul. If you are in Christ Jesus, that is good news. 
So God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not only did God exert his power over the grave, but he confirmed it by the witnesses. He made him appear to many witnesses. Verse 41. These witnesses, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This is not a figment of their imagination. This is not pretend. They ate with him. He took food to show him that this is my body. I actually did rise. Because the same people who saw him be beat to within an inch of his life and die and breathe his last breath on the cross ate with him not a few days later. And they drank with him. And they saw that this Christ is real. And he rose. This is in a day before uh, video evidence. If any of you remember way, way back, probably 10 years ago, before that there was video evidence for everything. What the, the best we've had for all of human history is corroborated witnesses who say, I saw this and I saw the same thing and I saw the same thing. In our culture, we tend to forget that, well, if there's not video evidence, it didn't happen. I've heard people say this. But throughout all of history, we had credible witnesses. And this is what we have here. We have eyewitnesses still telling us that we ate with Jesus. We drank with Jesus. This would stand up in court today. This is what we have before us. And what did he say to those witnesses? Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people. And to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. He commanded them to preach. They were commanded to preach this peace and reconciliation through Christ. We are commanded to preach this peace and reconciliation to Christ. I am commanded as a minister of the gospel to preach reconciliation to Jesus through Jesus Christ. If I don't preach it, I am being unfaithful. I am being disobedient. I am commanded to preach this. Preach this to the people. This word here, people, means all peoples. This is the first time. This is an amazing revelation for for Peter. Because up until then, he was only preaching to the Jews. He is convinced now that the gospel must go out to all peoples. And we preach the gospel to all peoples with impartiality. This is good news to whoever hears it and receives it. Preach this to all the people. This is good news. If you had good news, you would share it, right? If you had the cure for cancer, you would share it, right? In culture, we love to share. We love to share where we go to eat. Uh, Yelp and, and Instagram is like our, our new direction for where to eat. People love to share. Look what, I, look what I ate. Look what I found. Look what I did. They'll share everything. But do you share life-changing information? We have the cure for disease and death and sin and strife and everything that ails us. And it is Christ and him crucified. How can we not share that? Because the resurrected Christ is the cure for disease and division and death. We must proclaim that we're commanded to preach to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. We are to testify to him as judge. Why judge? We don't like this picture. I like nice and friendly Jesus with the lamb around his, his, his shoulders. I like Jesus who puts a child on his lap. I don't like this judge Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, you don't, if you don't like Jesus as, as judge, you don't like God. Because scripture talks about Christ as, as, or God as being a judge more than God being loving. 
What does that mean? That means that God is consistent in his nature. That means that God is perfect in his judgment. That means that God is perfectly holy and no sin can ever go unpunished. And if you don't understand the nature, if you don't understand Jesus as judge, you don't understand the nature of God. And I must testify to this. We can't escape this because it is only good news if the bad news is really bad. Because the bad news is that every sin has to be punished. The bad news is that every sin is a death sentence. Jesus told us, if you think about sinning, you're as guilty as if you did it. And it must be judged because God is perfect and he cannot be around sin. Sin, every sin is an offense to his character and to be united with him is to be sinless. Anyone want to raise their hand and say that they qualify to be sinless on their own? Bubba, don't raise your hand. There's only one who was. Every sin must be punished, either by us or by Christ. Every sin goes before the judge. Every pronouncement of of, of sin is guilty. Every sentence is death. But Christ's sentence of death is once for all. All who believe. All who trust in him. The bad news is every sin will be punished. The good news is that Jesus died and took the punishment for those who would believe. Verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophets. For 1,500 years, the prophets of God have been looking forward to the Messiah. For 1,500 years, they're saying he is coming. He is coming. One who will bear the transgressions and iniquities of his people. And now he is here. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him. This is good news to the nations. Because no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, if you believe in him, there is peace. There is the promise of forgiveness of sins. And we end where we began. To everyone. Anyone of any nation who believes in him, there's the promise of forgiveness of sins and new life in him. If you believe in Jesus and God who raised him from the dead for forgiveness of sins in order to have peace with God. And it's only in the name of the risen Christ. That is only in the name of Jesus. It is only in the name of someone who is Savior and Lord. And that good news is proclaimed to everyone. That is the good news to the nations because that is the beginning of the restoration of all things. Because only Jesus has ever come back from the grave. And by believing in him, we join in his death to death. And by by believing in him, we receive forgiveness and peace through his name. No other name and no other way. And we celebrate that there is a way. Because we don't deserve a way. And Easter is that celebration of the way, the truth, and the life and all who come to the Father through him. So how do we conclude this morning? just want you to think about the problems of our world. And when you go through your, your, your week and you look at the news and you look at the solutions that all the pundits have and that all the wisdom that everyone else thinks that they have, any solution that, that man comes up with is always going to be partial. 
There can never be a complete solution at the hands of man. It's impossible. Nothing that we do by our own hands will last forever. No work of man will ever cure disease. No work of man will ever stop wars. They've tried and they've failed every time. No work of man will ever heal a planet that is plagued by sin and death. Everything is moving toward death and atrophy. So what answer does the resurrection give to these concerns that we addressed at the beginning? What answer does the resurrection give to death? Because God has power over death. He raised Christ from the death, from, from, from the dead. If we have faith in Christ, we will never die. Even though this body may die, this body they may kill. We have life eternal in him. Death is not the final, the, the, the final um, sentence for the believer. So what about racism? What about the divisions that we see in cultures, in classes, all throughout the news and everything? In Christ, God shows no partiality. In Christ, we are one in him, no matter what we look like, no matter where we come from. Amen, hallelujah, somebody. And I love that the gospel is good news to everyone. But apart from Christ, we have no reason to unite, really. Because our unison in Christ is eternal. It is unbreakable in him. What about violence? Violence is a part of the world that we live in. But one day, Jesus promised us that the lion would lay down with the lamb. And there would be no more death, no more violence, no more tension among the earth, among people, among God and man. What about disease? You're going to die. I'm going to die. People die in all different ways. And it's difficult and hard anytime. And I do not want to minimize that. But in Christ, one day you will have a body that will never be affected by disease, that will never deteriorate, that will live on with him. Only in Christ do we have hope and a promise after death. Only in Christ Christ can we have perfect peace. Only a sovereign Lord can offer peace between us and the world, us and each other, and us and God. And that is good news. That is the best news that anyone would ever hear. Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he rose from the grave? Do you believe that he has the power to do that? Do you believe that his power over death can apply to you by believing in his name? Do you believe that in him, death is not the end? And if you are in him, death is not the end for you. That is my prayer for you. And this is a place where if you have questions about that, you have prayers about that, you you want to pray through that, we would love to talk to you. We're going to have a time in just a moment. The first Sunday of every month, we always take communion and and gather together. I know many of you are not members here. Uh, We encourage you to take this time over the next few moments just to reflect that, reflect on that. If you don't understand communion, if you don't know what that is, uh, Deshaun's going to explain it. But I ask that you stay in your seat and just reflect on everything that you've heard. But if Christ risen from the grave is good news to you, And your soul is shouting hallelujah. Join us in brotherly fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the good news. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that while we deserve death, you gave us life through the death of your son. 
Thank you that the cross is good news. That your blood is good news to all the nations, to all peoples. Thank you that you don't see us as broken, wretched sinners. When we are in Christ, you see your son, you see us spotless, and you see us blameless. And if you stand here today, and you are a broken, wretched sinner, and you stand in fear before the judge of all creation, all that he requires is that you believe in his son, take on his death, die to yourself, and live to him. And live a life eternal that is no more death, no more disease, no more pain, no more division. That is the good news of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.